preaching this morning from this text that I just read, Luke 10, 38 through 42, I would like to preach on the topic, too busy, too busy. Let's ask God for help this morning as we slow down our busy lives, sit at His feet, and hear His Word. Father, we thank You for the fact that Christ is worthy of our attention, of our time. God, I pray that we would hear His Word this morning that we would indeed sit at His feet, be students of Him, and that in Him we would find a good meal. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. One woman from another culture visited the United States. And she began introducing herself to others as busy. Hello, I'm busy. She heard everybody in their introductions, in their greetings with one another, reference themselves as busy. And so she figured that this was a common American greeting. Hello, I'm busy. Hey, how you doing? I'm busy. Hey, what's been going on? I'm busy. I wonder how often you find yourself in your greeting with one another referencing yourself as busy. I am busy. In our text this morning, we see two sisters. Mary, who sits at the feet of Jesus in verse 39, and Martha, who in verse 40 we discover, is busy. Luke doesn't write chronologically, meaning one story doesn't necessarily follow after the other. As instead, Luke groups his stories together topically. He groups his stories in such a way that when we see them side by side, they make a bigger point. The previous story, for those of you that were here last week, was the story of the what? Or who? The Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan, Luke, I believe, tells us, he tells us that story as a way to kind of get us off our butts and get us doing something, like to recognize that there are needs all around us and the Christian life is to not be spent sitting on our hands, but we are as disciples of Christ to spend ourselves, to work hard in serving others. But just in case someone might read that and then be led toward a works-based kind of righteousness, he parallels that, I believe, with the story of Mary and Martha to show us that God is not impressed with how good of a Samaritan you are, but God wants you to stop. 
and to sit at the feet of Jesus. In this story, we see Jesus and his disciples on the move. They get into a town called Bethany, where a woman named Martha lives, and she owns this home, and she invites Jesus and his disciples into her home. The text reads, she welcomed him into her house. And that is important because that reminds us of the ancient uh, Middle Eastern culture of hospitality, this expectation that was on the homeowner to provide a hospitable experience for those who come into her home. And so Martha, we see, is busy. She's over the top. She's not just simply providing some, uh, a, a, a little piece of bread or some butter, but, but this is an exceptional guest in her home. This is a distinguished guest of honor who has come to her house, and so she is ready to impress. And she's over the top. She's in the kitchen working hard. She's got some meat on the grill. She's got some wings in the deep fryer, macaroni and cheese in the oven, green beans on the stove. She's even got that non-alcoholic, bubbly, uh, really sugary grape stuff because she's Baptist. But she doesn't yet understand that Jesus drinks wine, but that's another story. (laughs) And she doesn't have any casserole because we know she wasn't white. But the point is, she was really busy getting ready for this distinguished guest of honor in her home. There's another character in the story, and that character is Mary. Mary is her younger sister. She doesn't quite have the responsibility of hospitality on her shoulders because she's not the homeowner. However, it would have been fully expected culturally as well as by Martha, her older sister, that Mary be helping her get ready for this meal to serve their guests. Instead, Mary is found sitting at the Lord's feet. Now notice in the text, Luke says she sat at the Lord's feet. The Lord's feet. Notice he uses the word Lord. He doesn't say she sat at Jesus' feet. He could have because she was indeed sitting at Jesus' feet. But he wanted to emphasize the fact that she was sitting at the feet of the Lord. The Lord your God. Those are the feet that she sat down in in front of. John chapter 1, verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, speaking of Jesus. Meaning, in Genesis 1-1, when we see God speak, that is the voice of Jesus. Jesus is all through the Scriptures. Jesus has no beginning. He is God of God. He is light of light. When Jesus speaks, He speaks with the authority of God. 
when the prophets speak, when they are inspired, they speak the words of Christ. I want you to keep in mind who is in front of Mary in this moment. God of very God. She sits at the feet of her Lord. He is life. He is truth. He is healing. He is holiness. He is our forgiveness. He is our justification. He is our sanctification. And Mary positions herself at His feet. I also want you to note that Mary is a woman. God seems to enjoy using surprising characters to make points. In the previous story, the surprising character was a Samaritan. You wouldn't have expected a Samaritan to be the example of neighbor. In this story, we see the surprising character is a woman who becomes the example of the one who chooses rightly. In this culture, to sit at the feet of one is to take the position of student. This isn't, by the way, as some have suggested, some kind of romantic move on Mary's part. There is no romance here. Paul, in Acts chapter 22, verse 3, sits at the feet of Gamaliel. This is just simply a picture of a learner and a teacher. Now this was a position that was typically in their culture reserved for men. Mary takes on this position as student, and in doing so, Jesus and, and Luke is making a less than subtle hint for us a point showing us that all people in the church are to be learners. That all are to be students of Jesus Christ. Which might not be all that shocking and surprising to you, but in the first cult, uh, century culture, it would have been. To say that women, along with men, are to be students of Jesus Christ, disciples of Jesus Christ. It might not seem surprising to you, but I think for some churches, even in our own day and age, that seems to be a shocking and surprising reality. I don't know how often you've seen a church with a men's gathering, and at the men's gathering they're reading systematic theology together, and then the women get together and do crafts. There's nothing wrong with crafts. But are women to be sitting at the feet of Christ learning? I've 
I, I, I've heard pastors say, I, I, my, my job as a pastor, my, my calling is to build up the men in the church. Well, great. Praise God for that. Are you not to build up the women as well? This is why in our church, our internship includes men and women. This is why I love uh, when my wife gets together with some women and they're reading uh, some, I don't, is it R.C. Sproul? I don't even know what you're reading. They're reading theology. I asked Jess, what are you talking about with these ladies uh, tonight as you get together? She's like, uh, I think we're going to talk about, um, what was it, inspiration of Scripture, huh? canonicity, and then we're going to move into theology proper. I'm like, all right. <laughs> it's good. Praise God for, praise God for women as an example of what it means to sit under the feet of Jesus Christ and be his student. Now contrast Mary with Martha. Martha in the text is distracted. She is distracted with much serving and she is frustrated. And I would be a little frustrated too. But just because I would be frustrated doesn't mean that her frustration is good and right because often I am frustrated sinfully. I often am frustrated because I don't see the whole picture. I don't see the whole of what God is doing. I don't think rightly about a situation and so therefore I get selfish and I get frustrated. Martha is sinfully frustrated. And we see this played out even in the way that she talks to Jesus. Look at verse 40. She's distracted with much serving. She goes to Jesus and says, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? First, she assumes the worst about Jesus. That Jesus doesn't care. That Jesus is just looking past this terrible decision that Mary has made that Jesus is in some way wrong. She then demands Jesus to do something. Tell her, then, to help me. Tell her to help me. She becomes demanding. Listen, family, we are not born grace-based. We are born works based meaning we are not born intrinsically believing in salvation by grace through faith we are born and we are raised with the natural mind that we must do things we must perform we must produce in order to be made right don't clap yet don't clap yet i'm not i'm not to the good stuff yet we're gonna get there I want you to clap soon. For religious people, they do good things. They are filled with, with stress, grinding, overwork for religious purposes with the hope that God will accept them. But irreligious people do the same thing. They too are overworked, stressed out, 
grinding. All with the hope that maybe they can accept themselves. Kevin DeYoung says in his book, Crazy Busy, the greatest danger with busyness is that there's a greater danger which you may never know because you never have the time to consider it. The reality is this. Worries and anxieties can crowd out our ability, our opportunity to discover what is really going on in our hearts. They can crowd out our ability to hear the voice of Jesus Christ. Worries and anxieties can crowd out our ability to receive Jesus Christ. All the while, we are running on this rat race, trying to do, trying to produce, trying to perform so that we might be made right. However, salvation by grace through faith means that God is not impressed with your overworked, stressed out grind. God is not impressed when we are too busy. So let me ask you this question. Are you too busy for Jesus? Are you too busy? Are you busy in such a way that that which really matters is being crowded out by all of your troubles? Two lessons we can learn in the way that Jesus responds to Martha. Number one, to hear God's Word must be the most important thing in life. Lesson number one, to hear God's Word must be for us the most important thing in life. A little hint at this point. Next time your child says, I need some ice cream, quote verse 42, only one thing is necessary, <laughs> and that is the Word of God. Next time your roommate asks if you can pay his rent for him this month, quote verse 42, only one thing is necessary, and that is the Word of God. Only one thing is necessary. Meaning, of all that you've got going on in life, of all the, the emails that you need to respond to, or the phone calls that you've missed, or the text messages that you need to respond to, of all of the Instagram pictures that you need to scroll through, and the Facebook statuses to read, of all the buses you need to catch, and the jobs you need to apply for, and the promotions you hope to get, only one thing is necessary. Only one thing. You see, we tend to think that we have uh, in our production of things, we, that we have power. But His Word will not return empty and will accomplish what He desires and achieve the purpose for which He sends it. 
That's Isaiah 55, verse 11. We think that based on what we do, that we can somehow better ourselves. But according to John chapter 17, 17, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. We come up with a thousand different goals. We obey our instincts as we order our lives. But according to Luke 28, 11, blessed are those who hear the word of God and do it. We can be busy doing a thousand good things and ignore God's Word. We can be busy trying to change somebody. We can be so busy trying to help somebody. But 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, Scripture is useful for teaching rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The question I want to ask you this morning is this. Is God's Word your priority? Do you believe that hearing God's Word is the one thing necessary in this life? Lesson number two. Anxieties and troubles of life can crowd out what is most important. Let me remind you of lesson number one. Hearing the Word of God is most important. Lesson number two. Anxieties and troubles in life can crowd out what is most important. A preacher once said, busyness rapes relationships. It substitutes shallow frenzy for deep friendship. It feeds the ego but starves the inner man. It fills a calendar but fractures a family. It cultivates a program that plows under priorities. We believe that busyness, that our stressed out grind can in some way eventually produce happiness for us. Why is it that we keep going? Why is it that we can't sit still? It's because we believe that in all of this doing, in all of this moving, that we're going to in some fashion one day arrive. Oh, beware of the barrenness of a busy life. There is no arrival. There is no end to the rat race. Martha doesn't have time to listen to Jesus because Martha is too busy doing things for Jesus. I don't think you heard that, so let me repeat it. Martha doesn't have time to listen to Jesus because Martha is too busy doing things for Jesus. Are you tracking with me? In verse 41, 
Jesus responds to Martha. He says, Martha, Martha. Now listen, in Jesus' response, in the original language, uh, the the, uh, essence of how he says this is with emotion, meaning Jesus says this in a very tender way. Jesus is not annoyed by Martha. He is not perturbed by Martha. He is not mad at Martha. He isn't being condescending as he talks to Martha. As a matter of fact, maybe he has a tear in his eye. As he clearly sees the brokenness in Martha's life. As he clearly sees that Martha believes she's doing something good for Jesus. Do you understand that sin is blinding? Do you understand that sin truly makes us ignorant in the truest sense of that word? Oh, Father, forgive us, for we know not what we do. So busy doing things for Jesus that we never stop to listen to Jesus. And Jesus turns to Martha. He responds to Martha. Oh, you are anxious and troubled about many things. You're anxious and you are troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. That word anxious right there means to be concerned with. It's not always used in a negative way throughout the Scriptures. For instance, in 1 Corinthians 7, that same word is applied to single saints who are not as anxious, they're not as concerned with worldly matters, and they can be more concerned with the things of God. So singles are commended in that way, to be anxious about the things of God. Later on in 1 Corinthians, in chapter 12, verse 25, we are actually commanded to be anxious for one another, to be concerned with each other. There are worldly temporal concerns that we are to think about and and to be concerned with. We should be concerned about our work when we are working and do all things to the glory of God and work hard. We should be concerned about providing for ourselves and for our friends and family and those who might be relying on us. We should be concerned to pay our rent or our mortgage. You know, there are some, there are a lot of things in life that are good concerns for us that do deserve our time and attention. But Martha is concerned in a sinful way. Martha is concerned in this moment about temporal matters when she has the eternal right in front of her. You see, the issue is not that she's just preparing food. As a matter of fact, I think all of us can say amen to the fact that there are good seasons and times to prepare food. Amen? Amen. As a matter of fact, that would be about every day. (laughs) Like, there are times to be in the kitchen. That's not wrong. What was wrong about Martha was that she had an opportunity to be with Jesus, and she chose the temporal. What was wrong about Martha was that she was standing at this crossroads, 
let's be concerned with the temporal or let's be concerned with the eternal. And she chooses the temporal over the eternal. That's Martha's issue. And that is our issue. The point is simply this. The worries of life can keep us from consuming God's Word. Why do you grind nonstop? Why is it that you cannot sit still? Is it because you find your worth in what you do? Is it because you feel better about yourself when you're on the go? Are we teaching our children to drink deeply from the rivers of life? Or are we teaching them to be drowned in the stresses of life? We need to focus our attention and our time often on our families, often on our jobs. It's good to host your neighbors and have people over to your home and be busy in that sense. It's good to fight for justice or to hang out with some neighborhood kids. All of that is good and all of that feels and it is a busy life. But the question is this, do these kids, do your family members, do your co-workers, do they understand what is most important in your life? I'm not concerned when people have a full schedule. I'm concerned when that schedule crowds out the eternal. I'm concerned when we're too busy to be in God's Word. I'm concerned when we're too busy for the church. I'm concerned when we're too busy for Jesus. In almost a a funny sense, I I remember uh, some years ago, I was talking about hospitality, and someone was so proud of uh, of the fact that they were going to have some people over for lunch after church. And they said, hey, I'm I'm having them over for lunch, and I won't be in service because I'm going to be at home preparing. (laughs) You got like half of it, (laughs) but you missed the bigger piece. But how often do we slip into that sort of stuff? All of our temporal concerns all of a sudden takes precedence over being with God's people. I'm concerned when you're too busy to come to church. I'm concerned when you're talking about family issues and family dynamics and it's just too much for us right now and church needs to go on the back burner. I'm concerned when we're too busy for prayer meetings and for Bible study. I'm concerned when the busyness of your life crowds out your brothers and sisters in Christ because where two or three are gathered, Christ is present. Let's not make a mockery of that by just seeing the church gatherings as optional for us when I'm not busy. I'm concerned when I'm talking to a brother or a sister and they haven't prayed in a month. They haven't opened their Bibles and read their Bibles in a month. How can we be Christians and not be in the Word? This is life. 
I'm concerned when people profess Jesus Christ. And they don't, they don't care to sit at his feet and receive the grace of Christ. I'm concerned when everything else is more important. I am concerned that some of you are too busy for Jesus. And as a result, you're going to miss him eternally. Christ is where we find grace, not out there. We find our righteousness in him, not in what we do. Oh God, help us, forgive us. Forgive us, God, for we are blind and ignorant. Let us see what is most important. And let us come to him. Let us sit at his feet and receive the grace of Jesus Christ. And by the way, saints, it is grace that Martha is missing. Don't get this twisted. Jesus is not adding something else to your schedule. Sitting at the feet of Christ is not just one more thing I got to do this week. Oh, God, help us when we have that attitude. It is, listen, it is grace. This is not a message of law. This is a message of grace. Is it not encouraging that we learn in this text that the most important thing in life has nothing to do with what we produce? Should that not encourage us, saints? Come on. Is it not encouraging for us that the good portion has nothing to do with anxiety or trouble? Does this not encourage you? Jesus is completely reorienting our lives and he's saying, chill out. Slow down. There's too many anxieties in your life. There's too many troubles in your life. Come to me. I am the good portion. I am not a part of your to-do list. Come to me. And what you find is grace. He's completely refocusing us and calling us to set aside our anxieties and worries and to receive Him. Family, do you see the danger in being too busy? According to the logic of this text, we have to deduce that Martha is missing out on salvation. Here's why I say that. Because this good portion is clearly a reference to Jesus. If this good portion is Jesus and Martha is missing it, then Martha is missing Jesus. There's only one thing that is necessary. If Martha is missing the one thing that is necessary, then she's missing Jesus. Because of all of the good, because of all of the busy, because of all of the stuff, she's missing out on what matters most. Martha's fulfillment is found in what she does, 
not in who Jesus is. She misunderstands grace. And maybe to say she misunderstands grace isn't even strong enough. She just doesn't get grace. She doesn't know grace. As we close, I want to draw your attention to the last line in verse 42. In contrast, what Mary has received, he says, will not be taken away from her. Think about this with me, church. What Martha is making will soon be gone. What is currently distracting her from being with Jesus is soon going to be gone. What crowds out her time to receive grace is temporal. So much of what crowds out our time will soon be gone. Fortnight will soon be outdated. Netflix will not be in heaven. I'm stepping on some toes now. Your house or your apartment that you've put so much time into making look nice will not be in heaven. That extra cash that you earned through that extra hustle will not be in heaven. The thing about the past is that the past is always in the past. We can never get back what time has taken from us. The nature of time means that everything will decay. In other words, we could uh, use our motion, our movement toward death as just simply another reference for time. Time separates you from every single human relationship you have. All of this is leading to death. Cash is spent. Houses fall apart. Movies end. Fortnite will be forgotten. Good meals are consumed. The grass withers. The flower fades. But the Word of God remains forever. Everything else is eternal. Temporal, rather. Only God's Word is eternal. Only that which is built on God's Word lasts. So some of you might ask, what's the secret? Like, Joel, you don't know my busy life. You don't know how busy I am. I've got so many things, and I hear, yeah, one thing is necessary, but I've got about a million other things that are necessary in order for me to survive. Listen, I get it. I recognize that physically I'm above you, but I am not above you spiritually as we study this text. 
I am in this text with you. I'm in the sermon with you. My schedule is also full through October. It's full. <laughs> All right? What is the secret? What do I do? How do I find all of this extra time in order to be in God's Word and to gather with His people and to pray and to hear God's voice to me? I think the answer for all of us is quite simple, and that is just simply this. It's an issue of our priorities. Meaning we find time to do what we want to do. I've never met someone who is too busy to not do the things that they want to do. Like you'll actually find time to do what you really prioritize, what you really value. And so I think the question for us then is, is simply this, is, is Christ our priority? Is He our priority? Is sitting at His feet, hearing His Word, being in His Word, gathering with His people, is that a priority? Because Jesus is a priority. What are your priorities? Yeah. I'm always encouraged spiritually when I read of the faith of the American slaves. I enjoy reading religious history and uh, writings from slaves from late 1700s through about the Civil War. During that time period, many American slaves, particularly in the South, came to know the Gospel of Jesus Christ. They would work crazy long hours. Six days a week they would be forced to be in the field, heavy, hard labor. Ten hours a day. Much of the year, that number would look like 15 or 16 hours a day. Yet every weeknight, somewhere on a plantation in Mississippi, in a slave cabin, you could hear their songs. You could hear their cries as they gathered for their nightly prayer meetings. And they would sing long into the night, knowing that they got to get up the next day and be forced into labor once again. But they would sing, steal away. Steal away. Steal away to Jesus. We won't be here long. Steal away. Steal away. Steal away to Jesus. How did they find the time for prayer meetings? It's because they prioritized the Word of God. It's because they prioritized Jesus Christ. They knew how to steal away to Jesus because Jesus was their priority. Oh, sure, you can learn some things. You can figure out how to better use your calendar. You can figure out, you, uh, you read a book. Uh, you can get a book on time management. Get Kevin DeYoung's book on crazy busy. Learn how to say no. Whatever. Blah, blah, blah. 
The issue isn't all of that. The issue is simply this. What is, what is your priority? What do you prioritize? What do you prioritize? If Jesus, listen, if Jesus is not your priority, all of that time management stuff is just going to give you more time for Netflix and Fortnite. Okay? Or whatever else you do to waste your time. Is Jesus your priority? If you were to fill in this blank, the one thing necessary in my life is fill in the blank. Do you find God's word there? Listen, Christ made it his priority to save you. He came on a mission. His mission was to die for his people. He died on the cross taking the penalty and wrath that is ours for our ignorance. For us not valuing him. For us being filled with a thousand other things that we have called greater and more important and more necessary than God. He took God's wrath for our sin. He died to save a people for Himself. You are blood-bought. You are owned by Christ. He rose again from the grave three days later for our justification so that we might know that God has accepted His gift for us. His payment for our sin. All who turn from their sins and trust in Him find something eternal. Something that lasts. Family, let us therefore steal away to Jesus. Cast your cares on Him because He cares for you. In His presence is the fullness of joy. He is the giver of grace. He is the giver of life. He is the giver of peace that passes all understanding. Let us steal away to Jesus. For His yoke is easy and His burden is light. Mary found in Christ the good portion. Let us receive this good portion with Mary. Father, we thank you for this story of Mary and Martha that has been preserved for us by your Holy Spirit. Your word is truth and it convicts us, it assures us, it gives us grace. I pray that all who heard this message this morning would be a recipient of the grace that we have in you, our Lord and Savior. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.